You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name's Paul. I am not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I have once again failed to become an animal expert since we recorded last, but I am somewhat of a kitty cat expert, and that is the animal we're talking about today. Cats, part one. We might do a part two someday, because they yeah. are really, really cool. And I'm not a kitty cat expert, but I'm, I have pretty good expertise in the kitty cat. <laughs> yes. 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 But first, the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. A French physicist has won an Ig Nobel Prize for using mathematical formulas to determine whether cats are liquid or solid. <laughs> I love this. I love it, too. The Ig Nobel Prizes are awarded every year by Improbable Research, which is an organization devoted to science and humor. The goal is to highlight scientific studies that first make people laugh, then think. A ceremony is held every year at Harvard University. Marc Antoine Fardin was awarded the Ig Nobel Prize in Physics for his research paper on the rheology of cats. Rheology is the branch of physics that deals with the deformation and flow of matter, especially the non-Newtonian flow of liquids and the plastic flow of solids. Fardin said, at the center of the definition of a liquid is an action. A material must be able to modify its form to fit within a container. If we take cats as our example, the fact is that they can adapt their shape to their container if we give them enough time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> cats are thus liquid if we give them the time to become liquid. <laughs> In his official research paper, Fardin discusses many factors including relaxation time, experimental time, the type of container, and the cat's degree of stress. The conclusion? Cats can be either liquid or solid, depending <laughs> on the circumstances. <laughs> and that was reported in the Rheology Bul Bulletin in 2014. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and, and so true. Yeah. Yeah, and the article had a great picture of a, looks like a plexiglass little rectangular container with a cat in it, and he just takes up every square inch of space. <laughs> taking up the whole thing. <laughs> Looking totally happy. I'm fine. Yep, that's just what they do. Every time we bring something home, any sort of container, it can be like a fruit bowl or anything. If you turn around for two seconds, when you come back, there will be a cat in that container. <laughs> Your cats are liquid and solid. They are. That's awesome. They are. I think I think Malfurion is a solid right now. <laughs> He's the only cat that's in here with me right now. Valera has declined to uh, appear for the public, but but Malfurion's here, sleeping, which they do a lot. Yep. Okay. On that note, here's a reminder. Go to BlazingCaribouStudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at, at @varmentspodcast, all one word, and at varmentspodcast.gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. I run a Pinterest board for every animal that we do, and I'm going to really go completely nuts on this one. If you put varmints into the search engine at tpublic.com, you'll get all kinds of wonderful merchandise. That has our show logo on it. If you like the show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast? We are everywhere that podcasts are found. 
And the word of mouth is the very best way to help us grow. Huh, kitty? Do you know yeah. who's the cat's meow, Donna? Who? Our Patreon supporters. They are! Clay, Nikki, Christy, Katie, Christine, and now Adrian. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks, everybody, for your Patreon support. All levels of Patreon support get a little reward, whether it's a shout-out on the show, or a little sticker, or a magnet, or a drawing to get a mug or a tumbler, or even to promote your little thing for 30 seconds, whether that's your band or your Etsy page or whatever you want to promote. Maybe it's your podcast. We'll promote it for you. Go to patreon.com slash barments. Yes. Now, let's learn about cats. Let's do it. Hey, let's go get educated on some animals. I know you want to. <laughs> So the cat we are talking about today is often called the domestic cat to distinguish it from other felids and felines like cougars, cheetahs, leopards, pumas, and other wild cats. They are the second most popular pet in the U.S. Do you know what the first most popular pet in the U.S. is? Uh, the dog. That would seem like the obvious answer, but the first is actually freshwater fish. Oh, now that makes sense because there's probably more people that can have fish. Yes. And it is also the third most popular pet in the UK behind fish and dogs. It is believed that cats were domesticated in ancient Egypt around 4,000 years ago, but there is evidence that domestication happened as early as the Neolithic period, possibly about 9,000 years ago. Yep. So this is the part where I give you a rough description of the animal that we are talking about, but if you have the internet and you are listening to this podcast, you know exactly what a cat looks like. (laughs) You have to know. You have to know. (laughs) I was going to say if you live on planet Earth, but I suspect that maybe you might know if you live on other planets sometimes, you know? (laughs) hmm. Cats are kept for their ability to hunt vermin and for companionship. Yep, it's pretty much just companionship. (laughs) (laughs) mine aren't hunting any vermin no it's not happening there are quite a few recognized cat breeds when kept as an indoor pet they are called house cats they are called feral or feral domestic when they are wild male cats are called toms or tomcats female cats are called queens and a juvenile cat is called a kitten aww kittens Cat comes from the later classical Latin language. It replaced felis, as in feline, in actual Latin of the day. And uh, the Romans, they kind of liked to borrow words and culture from other peoples that they held in high regard. Yes. Especially after conquering them. That's right. Yes. So there's a Nubian word, cadis, which is similar to the Berber word, cadiska, and the Arabic kit, which all mean cat. Well, the last one, the Arabic one, specifically means tomcat. So it seems reasonable to suppose that the Romans got into the habit of calling cats what the Egyptians of the time did. Cats. Did you know what the Egyptian word for cat is now, these days? What is it? Meow. No, is it It really? It is really. (laughs) That is the best. (laughs) That is great. At least that's what the Egyptian lady on the show with Joanna Lumley said. So, And she's Egyptian, so I believe her. I love it. Okay, so one of the best things that our cats do that we love, 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 love is the purr. They purr. Oh, so cute. They purr. I had my old cats used to purr so loud that you could hear them on the other side of the house. Wow. Yeah, and there's a lot of variety in how loud and how often cats purr. So um, the pair that I have right now are quiet purrs. Like sometimes you have to actually walk up to them and put your finger on their throat to tell if they're purring or not but it's also kind of cool because i know if they're purring really loudly that signifies some sort of a change in what they want or need right so mm-hmm. it's sort of interesting the other ones are just like purr, constantly purr. <laughs> like i have no idea what that means and you know what nobody really knows what a cat's purr means this is one of the things that i was interested to find out we all think it means a cat is happy right and sometimes it does often it does yeah It is arguably the most recognizable sign of contentment, a pleasurable rasp that erupts whenever they are tickled or petted, and they just love it. But 
it's not the full story. There's a lot more going on inside there, Purr, than you might reasonably expect. And even the how was a long subject of debate. Some thought it was linked to the blood flowing to the inferior vena cava, a vein that carries deoxygenated blood to the right side of the heart. But after research, it seemed likelier that the noise comes from the muscles within the cat's larynx. As they move, they dilate and constrict the glottis, the part of the larynx that surrounds the vocal cords, and the air vibrates every time the cat breathes in or out, and the result is a purr. Hmm. So even though science is now fairly sure that this is the process, there's no definitive answer as to what triggers the response. The biggest clue is a neural oscillator deep in the cat's brain, one that otherwise has no clear purpose. So they're suspicious of this one little neural oscillator. <laughs> they're like, what is that guy doing? <laughs> if it's triggered, is it just when a cat's happy? Sometimes, but only sometimes. So the people doing the research went to a cat shelter to do all sorts of purr research and stuff. So they said part of the mystery around the purr is that we often only notice cats purring when we tickle them in places they like to be tickled. Yet they also purr when we're not around. That's interesting. And the extent of that purring varies between individuals. All cats are different, and some never purr, and some purr constantly. So she photographed more than 3,000 cats at shelters and recorded the purrs at the same time and said no two are the same. They also witnessed that there were cats purring when they were dying and when they were being put to sleep. And the vet says something like, they were purring right up to the end, and people assume they're happy when they're purring, and this is just not always the case. The study of the cat behavior and communication has lagged behind that of dogs, which are usually more willing participants, especially if there's a reward, a reward of food involved, but in recent years, more light has been shed on the purr. This guy, Gary Weitzman, who's running some of the research, said, we're just beginning to understand it, and there's more unanswered questions than answered. The purr does generally represent contentment for cats, but it can also express nervousness, fear, and stress. And fortunately, it's more often an indicator of the, of the former. So they, he said it's been speculated for decades that purring was a form of communication. And in the early 2000s, they hypothesized that purring has other purposes in addition to this. Uh, work by Elizabeth von Muggenthaler, Karen Overall, and others has read to a better understanding of the purpose of the purr, and it's likely that purring has communication, appeasement, and healing properties. Cats begin purring when they're just a few days old, and it helps their mothers locate them for feeding time. And this may persist with some adult cats who purr as they feed. Mine do. Mine sit there and they purr and munch, 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 and whistle. They're, no, they do the whistle purr. The while they purr and, and Aww, eat at the same time. It's really funny. Cute. But they'll also purr beforehand to try to convince a human to feed them. And that's called the solicitation purr. We're going to hear that in a second here. Some will purr loudly when they're cautiously investigating new environments. And sometimes they purr after they've been startled or after they've had a stressful episode, like being chased by a dog. Mm-hmm. And the more science that goes into it, the more they uncover. Researchers have recorded ordinary purrs and purrs that were soliciting food from their owners. And even non-cat owners could tell the difference. We're going to play those now. So here is the solicitation purr. That's the purr that says, hey, I want something. Give me some food. Yeah. And this is the non-solicitation purr, the contentment regular purr. Can you hear the difference? Big difference, yeah. I know. In the solicitation purr, the particular sound that you're hearing is a little bit like the isolation cry of kittens or the human baby distress cry. This is really interesting. There's been some research done on the solicitation purr itself that shows that the frequency at which that purr occurs is in the same frequency as a baby's hunger cry. Wow. And most of the articles have titles like Cat Manipulating You with Purr or whatever, uh, which, which you got to strip out those emotional words and get at what's really happening here. And what's really happening is evolution via genetic selection, right, by, by human selection. Mm-hmm. And that is that the cats that survived or that we chose to feed and to get into our homes survived when they knew how to do this purr. 
And the ones that presumably did not know how to do this part are not included in, in the domestic cat gene pool because they didn't make it. So wow. that's how evolution works, right? You retain a trait when you survive to pass it on to your offspring, right? Right. Um, and so that's what's happened here. So I'm not saying they're not using it to, I mean, I hate the word manipulate because I don't think that that's, I think that has some negativity to it that is a human emotion. It has nothing to do with a cat's um, point of view, which is that if they're using that purr, they want food. I don't know how that's manipulative to ask for food, you know. They're your pet. You're supposed to feed them. They're asking <laughs> right. for food. <laughs> it doesn't seem manipulative <laughs> to me. But it is true that it, it seems to get us up and out of bed feeding them way quicker than a meow. That is so neat. And I think cats just kind of figure out that if they do this, it's less annoying, and they'll, they're more likely to get fed than get booted out of the bedroom. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, very, very, very cool. And then uh, there's another scientific guy at the UK's animal charity, the RSPCA, who says there's a little, only a very little understanding of how cats purr amongst each other, in the wild especially. And though it's apparent they will purr as they groom each other, and mine do, might do that. There could be purrs for I want that, and another for let's share resources. There are just lots of things that we don't know anything about. He says, feline communication is absolutely overlooked, and it deserves a lot more attention and study than it's given today. Another hypothesis is that the purr is a powerful healing action, and it's thought that the vibrations from the activity of physically rejuvenating a way for the cat to heal itself after stress. The frequency of the purr vibrations, which range from 20 hertz up to 150 hertz, is thought to promote bone growth. As bones harden in response to the pressure, other frequencies may do something similar to tissue. And he said that purrs at a frequency of 25 to 100 hertz corresponded with established healing frequencies in therapeutic medicine for humans. Bone responds to 25 to 50 hertz and skin and soft tissues to around 100, and 100 hertz, according to researchers. So we've known for a long time that having a cat around helps your heart. If you have a heart condition, it keeps, your, keeps you calm to be around a cat and purr, right. uh, have the cat purr and pet the cat and all this kind of stuff. Calms people sure. down. It's good for people's blood pressure, that kind of thing. Well, apparently, it's a, something that has mild healing properties as well, which is amazing. Wow, that is crazy. So while we see cats purring in apparent contentment while they're dozing, it's also a form of self-repair. And they have adapted their normal behavior, which now involves spending a lot of the day resting, as a way of avoiding injury through overexertion. The purr is a low-energy way to keep bones and tissues in good nick while they rest, and the purr may not just be of the benefit to the cat themselves. Like we said, it's probably a benefit to you as well. So that's pretty cool. So the, the doctor said the cool. physiological benefits aside, we've always responded to the purring psychological effects. They calm us and please us like watching waves against a beach. We respond to a cat's purr as a calming stimulus and may even have genetically selected cats with more propensity to purr, which I think is probably true. And he says... If it is winding around your feet, looking up at you, glancing toward the food cupboard, you cannot miss the signs, <laughs> together with the loud purring that say, I want food now. <laughs> Man. So, it was pretty cool. In 100 plus episodes of this podcast, that is right up there with one of the coolest things I've ever heard. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That is amazing. They are pretty amazing little critters. You're amazing, Mal. Yeah, he doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to talk about how cats can jump or fall off of really tall things and not get hurt. Ooh. Now, to do that, I have to talk about how humans respond to either jumping or falling off of a great height. So if that's something that's going to bother you, you might want to just skip ahead a few seconds, but I have to talk about it to just give everything a little bit of background and context so that you can appreciate how a cat can survive a fall from a great height. Okay. So according to the World Health Organization, falls are the second leading cause of accidental deaths worldwide behind road traffic injuries. Wow. Falls cause approximately 424,000 deaths each year. Wow. And there are far more falls that happen that are not fatal. 
So one of the easiest ways to understand fall risk is to look at something called LD50, which is the distance at which you have a 50% chance of fatal injuries. So for a human, that distance is about four stories, which means that statistically you have about a 50% chance of survival if you fall from four stories. It's a coin flip. Hmm. At seven stories, the mortality rate goes up to 90%, meaning that you'd be very, very unlikely to survive a fall from seven stories or more. Of course, there's a lot of other factors involved. How you land, what you're landing on, and if you're wearing any protective gear. Right. So, bringing it back around to cats. A 1987 study of 132 cats brought to a New York City emergency veterinary clinic after falls from high-rise buildings showed that 90% of them survived and only 32% of them needed emergency treatment to keep them alive. Holy cats! Yes. One of them fell 32 stories, or about 320 feet, onto concrete, onto bare concrete. Oh. He suffered only a chipped tooth and a collapsed lung. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. After 48 hours, that cat was released. Oh my gosh, that is incredible. In Boston, a cat named Sugar survived a 19-story fall and suffered only a bruised chest. Oh my gosh. Isn't that incredible? Oh my gosh. It is incredible, but it makes me sick to my stomach like to think of my kitties falling that far. Yeah. <laughs> so, how do they do this? From the moment they are in the air until the instant after they hit the ground, cats' little bodies are built to survive long falls. Cats are essentially arboreal, so when they are not living in homes or alleys, they tend to live in trees, and there are things that you can buy for your home that a cat can climb up so that it can be as high up as possible in your house. Sooner or later, they are going to jump out of or fall out of these trees. So thousands of years of falling have made them supremely capable of surviving falls. Terminal velocity happens when the downward pull of gravity is equal to the upward push of wind resistance. So an average-sized person reaches a terminal velocity of about 120 miles per hour, or about 53 meters per second. Hmm. Terminal velocity for a cat is half of that. Wow. Mm-hmm. So cats have developed a very keen instinct for which way is down. So as soon as a cat starts falling, it will use what's called an aerial riding reflex. So they'll twist their bodies, they'll spin their tails in order to position the feet under their bodies. Now, if the cat is still falling after that, it will splay out its legs. And what that does, it expands the surface area of the cat's body, which increases the drag resistance. So the cat makes itself into almost like a little parachute. When they do land on the ground, those legs that are splayed out also act like shock absorbers. So a cat's legs are kind of angled under its body instead of being extended completely downwards like a like columns, like a human's legs. Right. What that means is that the impact force is being absorbed into joints and ligaments and tendons and soft tissue rather than directly into the bones. Wow. Yeah. And that's why they can just sort of land on the con on the bare concrete and and suffer very very little damage wow the reason some of these cats didn't make it is because they were overweight oh if you have a cat and you live very high up here's some things that you can do so that you don't test your cat's aerodynamic instinct first of all make sure your windows are screened so that they can't just jump out of the window and make sure your cats are healthy because a fat cat might be cute and funny to look at, but all that extra weight compromises that aerial riding reflex, and it compromises their ability to withstand a fall. Yep. And just one more little side note. Don't call the fire department to get a cat out of a tree. Oh, no? <laughs> no. In 2018, they still get calls to come and get the cat out of the tree. And uh, this was from a, a person that works for the fire department that I read online. Mm -hmm. He said that the fire department has better things to do. They might not respond to your call. And the guy said, that cat has to come down eventually. And he's never seen a mummified cat in a tree. <laughs> True. <laughs> Disclaimer time. 
The Varmints Podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then, Don and Paul only have the yardstick of themselves, so they're going to do it anyway. I think we tend to lump dogs and cats into the same category as far as intelligence go, but uh, I think cats are smarter. Um, I don't know. I would, I would assume that it's probably a spectrum, you know, because I kind of figure I've had some cats that were pretty smart and I mean like getting up there smart as far as their ability to like break into stuff and solve puzzles and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't think that it's common to notice that there are cats that are like border collie smart, but they're, but they exist. They're out there. So I think it's probably a variety. I think I, most cats are probably about a six or so. Right. Yeah. That's what I gave them. I gave them a six. And then, but some of them are going to be threes and some of them are going to be sevens, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I also had a cat that was a three. (laughs) (laughs) You're so stupid, but you're so cute, kind of thing. (laughs) You know, that is funny because I've heard people call their dogs dumb, but I've never heard anybody call their cat dumb. I had a really dumb cat. (laughs) And he was adorable and wonderful, and I loved him just as much as the smart one. So I can't tell on the current two. Uh, I'm not really sure because she's so sneaky that she could be a lot smarter than she's letting on. But yeah, but, they, but they're both trainable. All of my tra- cats have, I mean, trainability is not the only thing about intelligence, but people think cats aren't trainable and they definitely are. And mine are. I've got them trained to sit and to hop up under the counter and come to my voice when I call them and um, stuff like that, which is people always ask me why would you do that and the answer is because it helps us to bond a little better and it helps me able to control their behavior so hopefully if something happens where I need to get them out of the house quickly and we tested this this year because we had a gas leak if I couldn't find one it's better if they'll respond to my voice and in this case they did and I was able to get them out of the house so wow cool yeah that's why so But yeah, I agree with you. I I do think it's sort of weird that we think that it's important to compare cats and dogs' intelligence, though, because it's like, you know, they're two different animals, right? Why why do we care about that? But but we do, so I don't know. What do you think? Well, you know, my my experience with cats is limited because I am so allergic to them. Mm -hmm. But they just seem like... Okay, so here's how it seems to me. You can train a dog to do something... And basically, once you've trained it, it will do that thing every time because dogs basically care about pleasing you and making you happy. And I'm speaking in very general terms, of course. You can train cats to do something, and maybe they'll do it, maybe they won't. It just depends on what kind of mood they're in, you know? <laughs> and for some reason, I, I equate that with greater intelligence. I don't know why. Yeah, that's probably... Not a good measure for intelligence. <laughs> I mean, Probably. whether we've talked about this before, whether an animal likes a human or not has nothing to do with how intelligent they are, you know? Right. That That's just an emotional reaction that has nothing to do with what's going on in their heads. Yeah. Um, but it is true that it's a different sort of relationship. And I think that's why a lot of cat people, people that are cat people like their cat's independence and they like, and people that are dog people like the dog's dependence. They these are features in general of the animal that people appreciate for what they are. And, but of course there's always a spectrum. There's a huge spectrum because, you know, our cats are dependent on us. They, they, they do need us. Um, there's, it's, there's no guarantee that if they got out, that they would be a good hunter or that they'd be able to know how to stay warm and survive it. Right. And often, very often they don't know, you know, yeah, I mean, I was really surprised when my dumb cat actually turned out to be a really good mouser when we had the mouse <laughs> infestation at the house. <laughs> he was not oh. that bright of a cat, but man, he really could he could hunt yeah, really you well. Yeah, talked about him in the mouse episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep, so yep, so there you go. I think it's probably variable. We are going to talk about cats and pop culture and a couple other things, but we're going to do that right after this. 
Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean <laughs> casting nets, fish, fish nerds. nerds. Fish, fish nerds. nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. It is a podcast. Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. <laughs> I love the fish nerds. Sorry, Clay. We love singing along to that. Yeah. Sorry. We love it. Lisa Lucas from Best Forevers, a podcast for kindred spirits. I'd like to start a movement where we spend more time loving on our friends because although friends are important to us, they're often in the shadow of other relationships. So if you want to love on your friendships a little bit more, embrace friendship a little bit more, or just appreciate your friendships a little bit more, then this podcast is for you. We'll explore all the different ways friendships take place, share the amazing stories of friendship, and discuss best practices for the difficulties that friends may experience. It's time to embrace friendships because without our friends, who would we be? So check out Best Forevers on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the other podcasting listening venues. And be sure to follow Best Forevers Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hey there everyone, Paul and Don are a couple of nerds just like you and they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk about where we all see them most of the time, on movies, TV, comic books, toys and video games. And this week I am going to talk about Puss in Boots, specifically... The Puss in Boots that is the supporting character in the Shrek franchise. Mm-hmm. He made his first appearance in the 2004 film Shrek 2, and he got his own film in 2011 called Puss in Boots. And he's in all sorts of Shrek-related prequels and sequels, and at the time of this recording, his own Netflix television series called The Adventures of Puss in Boots. Cool. Here is a little clip of... Uh, Puss in Boots in the movie called Puss in Boots. What are you doing here, senor? Did you lose your ball of yarn? (laughs) 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 So funny. One leche coming up. I am not looking for trouble. (laughs) I am but a humble gato in search of his next meal. (laughs) Perhaps you gentlemen can help me find a simple score. Well, perhaps if one of us were to tell the law that you are in town, we could split the reward. You do not want to make the cat angry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't think it made it onto the recording, but Malfurion went chirp. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, shut up, I'm trying to sleep. Puss was inspired by the title character, of course, of the fairy tale Puss in Boots, which is about a cat who uses trickery and deceit to gain wealth and power and love. (laughs) The Puss in Boots in the Shrek movies, his design was based on real cats by Tom Hester. Clint Eastwood's Spaghetti Westerns, James Bond, Errol Flynn, Zorro, and Indiana Jones are a few of the inspirations that went into his character. Antonio Banderas is the voice of Puss in the film versions. He said that voicing the character was an important part of his career. Antonio Banderas played the title character in The Mask of Zorro, and so animators analyzed that performance for kind of an insight into Puss's depiction. Aw. Yeah. That's so cool. Eric Bauza is the voice in the Netflix series. 
Puss was a very, very popular character in Shrek 2 to fans and to everyone at DreamWorks, including Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was the co-founder, so they decided to use that character more and more and more. Despite his small size, Puss is a capable fighter even when outnumbered against much larger opponents. He is skilled with a sword and often practically dances around his enemies who can't keep up with him. His trademark attack is using his cute nature by staring up at his foes with an innocent, wide-eyed expression, which softens his foes' hearts, and then quickly attacking with his sword or sharp claws. <laughs> his weaknesses are common cat behaviors, so coughing up hairballs or chasing spotlights usually results in his defeat or capture. Oh no! <laughs> The filmmakers initially wanted to bring actual cats to the DreamWorks studio to study them. That wound up being too much of a problem, and the DreamWorks staff suggested watching YouTube cat videos instead, and they did. So the story head, Chris Miller, called YouTube cat videos a great source of inspiration. In addition to the films and television shows, Puss is a playable character in Shrek video games, and he has his own video game called Puss in Boots. Aww. <laughs> I did not know that there was a little video game. Oh, yeah, he's in all kinds of Shrek-related video games. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I am going to talk about our little clip that we had to open the show today of The Cat Came Back. Yeah. So The Cat Came Back is a 1988 animated film by Canadian director Cordell Barker, produced by a fellow award-winning animator Richard Condy in Winnipeg for the National Film Board of Canada. It is based on the children's song, The Cat Came Back. The song of The Cat Came Back, it's a humorous song in nature telling a silly tale about old Mr. Johnson who had an old yellow cat that he didn't want and it kept coming back when he tried to get rid of it. So it's a, it's a pretty old song. So I don't know if this is an original from this writer or if it's just something that he put into music, but it's Harry S. Miller is the songwriter in the first publication with sheet music from 1893. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like it is a song that was made by African Americans and later put down by this guy the first time in the uh, sheet music. Anyway, we're not going to get too far into that. We're going to talk about the film. The, the song's been with us for quite a long time. So the film portrays an increasingly desperate Mr. Johnson to rid himself <laughs> of a small and extremely troublesome cat that will not leave his home. First, he tries to leave the cat in the woods, only to get lost. He tries to drown the cat in the sea, and he ends up drowning himself almost. <laughs> he tries to send the cat away in a hot air balloon, but winds up getting dragged into the sky when he cuts the balloon free. <laughs> and then for the last attempt, he, or for the fourth attempt, he tries to take the cat away on a pump trolley, and he runs over a lot of damsels in distress and even a cow tied to the train tracks while he hits a bug crossing the railroad tracks and causes the trolley to jump and send him plummeting into an abandoned mine where he is attacked by rats, snakes, and bats. <laughs> and then after all of that, not only does the cat find its way back, but it becomes increasingly destructive after each attempt. <laughs> Until Mr. Johnson finally has had enough and he tries to blow up the cat with a large pile of dynamite, only to blow himself up instead when he accidentally lights his hair on fire. <laughs> and then he thinks himself finally rid of the cat. His spirit proceeds to tease his foe when his human remains fall on top of it, killing it and releasing all of its nine lives to bedevil Mr. Johnson for all eternity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It's such well, a funny cartoon. you gotta watch it. And yeah. Every part is hilarious, but especially at the end, they timed it, the animators timed it really well, so where Mr. Johnson's ghost is like hovering over the his dead body and he's going, <laughs> I'm getting away from you to the cat. And then the, his body falls over and kills the cat and the cat, nine little angels, dun, 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 and the cat came back in every beat. There's a little, little cat angel spirit that comes up. Yep. <laughs> Just don't try. Just don't. <laughs> you can't do it. Anyway, uh, the film garnered over 15 awards, including a Genie Award for Best Animated Short, as well as an Academy Award nomination. Wow. 
It was chosen for inclusion in the animation historian Jerry Beck's 50 Greatest Cartoons, placing number 32. And it was included in the animation show of shows. And uh, Mr. Johnson and the Cat were later used in two advertisements for hula hoops, which is hula a hoops. snack of some sort. Oh, okay. I think it was probably Canadian. Don't know. But yes, this was a pretty big deal at the time, and it is really hilarious. And you can see it. We're going to put the link in the show notes, and you can, you can see the video. It's really funny. Cool. Yeah. All right. We can keep this part pretty short and sweet, I think. Uh, so, hey, are you going to eat that? Dada? No. Yeah, no, me neither. No. Well, hello, Paula Dada. I've been meaning <laughs> to ask you, is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Well, let's help you win that next trivia night. Or just sound smarter than the rest of the room. With the animal fact of the week. Back to you, amigos. <laughs> <laughs> Because cats have been domesticated for so long, they've been worshipped, feared, loved, revered, reviled all over the board. I wanted to run down some of the many superstitions people have about cats, and some of them we know the origin of and some of them we don't. Right. So the most popular one is that you'll have bad luck if a black cat crosses your path. Which nobody believes. But <laughs> People used to. They used to. Yeah. So this one goes back to ancient Egypt. So Egyptians worshipped the black cat goddess Bast, and Christians became convinced that black cats were demons in disguise, and if one crossed your path, it created a barrier of evil between you and God. Uh. Eh. In the Middle Ages, many people believed that cats associated with witches that took the form of cats so that they could roam the streets incognito. Yep, I've heard that one. Black cats protect fishermen at sea? However, if a black cat walks onto a ship and then back off again, that ship is going to sink. Mm. Yeah, this again goes back to the Egyptian goddess Bast and the Christians kind of putting their own spin on it. Yeah. According to Italian superstition, if a cat sneezes, there's going to be money coming your way. If a bride hears a cat sneeze on her wedding day, the marriage will be a good one. But if a cat sneezes three times, somebody's going to catch a cold. Not from the cat, though, presumably. <laughs> because we don't share viruses. Right. <laughs> cats have nine lives. Nobody really knows where that originated, but the myth that cats have multiple lives exists in many cultures around the world. So it's not always nine lives. Some Spanish-speaking regions believe that cats have seven lives, while Turkish and Arabic legends claim that cats have six lives. Right. Well, that's just got to be about how... Well, they survive stuff, right? Like, you... Yeah. That seems more metaphorical than superstitious, but... According to one book on Pennsylvania German tradition, if you are a single woman and you want to get married, get a cat, get some cat food, and feed the cat from your shoe. Hmm. <laughs> okay. When a cat is wet or washes its ears a lot, in parts of Indonesia, that means that it will rain. But in Japan, that means that unexpected visitors are coming. Ah, okay. A few other superstitions that we don't really know where they came from. If you put a cat in the empty cradle of newlyweds, then those newlyweds are going to have a baby pretty soon. But you have to be careful because cats can suck the breath from sleeping children. Yeah, I, I, there are people that believe that. That's a very dangerous superstition. That yeah. is not true and, and, uh, and very bad. That causes yeah. a lot of bad actions against felines and that that is just simply not true so. well a lot of these superstitions that were negative toward cats were not good for cats nope yeah yeah having a cat in the theater is good luck <laughs> one white hair on a black cat is good luck i don't know if you're supposed to pluck that one white hair and do something with it or I have no idea. There was no other information given. And how could there be just one? Because both of mine have little white spots on their chest. They're all black, except they each have like a tiny little little patch of white hairs on their chest. Yeah, I don't like know. Like, how, how would that even work? Superstitions are goofy that way. You're just like, wait a minute. Why would you think this? <laughs> they're, they're so weird. 
Rubbing a cat's tail on the eyelid will cure a sty. Don't try this at home. No. Oh my god, why? Don't do that. You're just going to get cat hair in your eye. Yeah. Cats can raise the dead? <laughs> uh, I don't think they can, but I still think that that's hilarious. Yep. And I, I, if a cat could be a necromancer, I think I have one that might take it up. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one is kittens born in May have special powers. I, they didn't say what kind of special powers those were, but yeah, kittens born in May apparently are super cats. Hmm. Mine were born in May. Any special powers? Uh, they have the power to eat a lot and sleep a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so normal cat powers. Uh, I think so. Maybe they're yeah. just really good at it, you know? <laughs> exceptional cat powers. Yeah, you guys are exceptional. Yeah, he's still out of it. <laughs> Silly. Silly kitties. I, for my additional animal fact, I wanted to tell you about some research that is that cats are actually nice. And the subtext on the article title is, sorry, haters. <laughs> <laughs> he says, cats are nice, but don't take my word for it. Thanks to new research from Oregon State University published in Behavioral Processes, there is scientific evidence that cats are, according to empirical study, nice. In fact, the study concluded cats like interacting with humans more than they like eating food. Let that sink in for a second. They like it more than food. Wow. The motivation for the study was to apply cognitive tests that have already been tried on dogs and tortoises on cats in order to clear up some misconceptions around cats' bad reputation for being unsociable. The scientist says, increasingly, cat cognition research is providing evidence of their complex sociocognitive and problem-solving abilities. Nonetheless, it is still common belief that cats are not especially sociable or trainable. This disconnect may be in part to, due to lack of knowledge of what stimuli cats prefer and thus may be motivated to most work for. The test took 50 cats from both people's homes and from a shelter and deprived them of food, toys, and people for a few hours. Then the researchers presented the cats with different stimuli within four categories, human socialization, food, scent, and toys. The researchers concluded that there were no significant differences between the homed and the shelter cats, and that most cats preferred human socialization to any of the other categories. That sounds like it's surprising, but it shouldn't be surprising to you because this is an animal that came to live with us of its own accord. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't go out in the wilderness and grab cats and domesticate them. They showed up and they stayed and they hung out with us. Some of it is because of we're a good food resource, but over the thousands of years that they've been with us, it has turned into something else, which is that they actually like us. Whether that's intelligent or not is another question. But <laughs> <laughs> So half the cats preferred social interaction to every other stimulus type, while only 37% preferred food. And it's been suggested that cat sociality exists on a continuum, which is perhaps skewed toward independency. But we found that 50% of cats pref uh, tested preferred interaction with the social stimulus even though they had a direct choice between social interaction with a human and their other most preferred stimuli from the other three stimulus categories. Which means that food and toys in the other categories were all equal, and they were all completely smashed by human interaction. Wow. So this is a study of a few dozen cats and definitely needs to be repeated for better data, but this is what cat people have been saying for years. Cats are friendly. Cats are perfectly friendly. Cats are nice. Cats like you. And people think cats are standoffish. And the problem is, again, anthropomorphization. We're, we're saying uh, what we're, we're demanding that they be a certain way. And when we do that, we miss how they actually are. So hmm. this is what cat owners have been saying for thousands of years. The cat loves you. Love it back. <laughs> oh, if this episode was not comprehensive enough for you and we didn't talk about a certain adaptation or a certain pop culture reference or a certain fun fact don't worry we are going to do another cats episode in the future so look for that in a few months because there is so much cool about them that we, we just can't contain it in one episode yep we had to split it into two minimum 
There might be an F for three. I don't know. There might be. So thanks, everybody, again for listening to this episode. This episode has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo, bed music by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by Imran Javed. Our vocal talent is Carrie McGinnis, Chris Brayton, Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Jennifer Chomo, and Stacy and Frosty. It's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat who is eight years of age or younger and they want to be on the podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at varminspodcast at gmail.com for details. We make it super easy for you and your Rugrat to hear their voice on our podcast. So who are we hearing from today? This is a first for the Varmins Podcast. We have our first (laughs) non-human Rugrat. Our Rugrat today is a cat. He is a lovely wonky cat called Kipper, and oh. yeah, this is Stacy from Rough Giraffe. This is her cat. Oh, so the cat is counting as a rug rat today. Awesome. The cat is our rug rat. Oh, so here's Kipper. Excellent. Let's listen. Hello, this is Stacy from the podcast Rough Giraffe, and I'm here with one of my co-hosts, Kipper the Wonky Cat. Hello, Kipper. Kipper. Say hello to Donna and Paul. Hey, Kipper. Kipper. Since you're an actual cat, Kipper. You may be one of the only really real animal experts that has ever been on the show. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Well, that's certainly true. So, Kipper, is there a common myth about cats that you want to debunk right here, right now? Oh, okay. Well, we don't have time for all of your grievances with the human race. What's the biggest misconception we silly people have about kitty cats? Sorry, I know you don't like being called a kitty cat. You're a big manly man cat. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, okay, go on, go on. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I had thought a cat always landed on his feet. That was until you became a wonky cat. (laughs) Right, okay, let me translate for you, Kipper. So cats have a writing reflex that let them land on their feet. Yep. But if you fall from a great height, it doesn't matter what part of your body you land on, you're using up one of your nine lives. (laughs) (laughs) So... How many lives do you have left, Kipper? Really? I'd have to say, after the way that dog chased you on Saturday, you lost another life. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Sorry, you're not afraid of no dogs. (laughs) And with that, we should say cheerio. And ta-ta for now. Bye, Donna. (laughs) Bye, Paul. Bye. Bye. Bye, Kipper. Thank you, Kipper. (laughs) I wonder if he has a British accent. (laughs) We'll have to ask Stacy. Stacy was a very capable translator right there. That was awesome. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you, Kipper. Yes. Stacy is one half of the Rough Giraffe podcast, which if you're not listening to that, do go subscribe and listen to to that because it is delightful. Well, now Malfurion is uh, just waking up and deciding to join us. Just in time. As soon as we're done. That's, of course. Of course. (laughs) What are you doing, buddy? Well, thanks, everybody, again for listening. And until next time. Be nice to animals, and especially kitty cats. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. Cats are kept for their... For their oh. <laughs> <laughs>